All right. Well, uh, we're in Exodus. We're going verse by verse through Exodus. So it's time to pick it up. Last week, we studied the first six verses of chapter 21, which was about the, uh, the bond servant. And we saw how that was an amazing picture of Jesus. I mean, it was one of the most thick and impactful um, visions of Jesus that I've ever uh, studied. And, and really, it, it touched my heart. So I'm, I'm glad that uh, we were able to go through that together. Today, we're going to be talking through the rest of the chapter about a bunch more of these laws and rules, and we'll see some really interesting things here. We're going to see a lot of God's heart come out, and so get ready. So let's pray. Father, we, we lift up our hearts to you and ask that you would mold them and shape them on the, 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 the potter's wheel, and Lord, we we. we hope that we don't cry out, Lord, why are you making us this way? And why do you form us the way that you do? We want to submit and surrender to your will in all things. Lord, we want to live in obedience to you, uh, not in rebellion, Father. And Lord, we pray that we would um, not be distracted, but we'd be able to focus on you today. In your name we pray. Amen. So today's uh, sermon is called Value Judgments. And uh, let's start, we're going to start actually in verse 1, where he says in in Exodus chapter 21, verse 1, now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. And so, again, the law of God is, is what we've been, what God is giving to the children of Israel right now. And again, you can break up the law into three different parts. The first part is the moral law, which is the, anyone know? The Ten Commandments which is the personal life of the God's people, the children of Israel. It's, and it really governs everyone who's a human being because everyone's got morals and, and, and it, it is over everybody. Now we get into this second part, which is chapter 21, 22, and 23 of Exodus, which is the civil rules of the government of the nation that God is establishing right here, of Israel. And these governmental rules uh, are... are to govern the social life, how all the people interact, how the government treats the people, and how you know judges investigate crimes, and how they determine what crimes are what, and, and how, how all this works. And, uh, and so a couple things to remember as we're studying this part of the law. Number one, just because God says this is a certain way to deal with it for the government doesn't mean that's how he deals with things. Okay, so he could say, I want the government to let that person go free when he might not not let that person go free ultimately. Okay, or he might say, you know, just for government, because governments don't know everything. He's going to give some concrete rules on how they should deal with stuff. But it's not necessarily uh, everything that he does or, or, or what he would do. Okay, later, we're going to get into a different part of the law, which is the ceremonial part of the law, which is the temple and all the sacrifices later in the book of Exodus. So these rules that we're going to talk about today cover a wide variety of crimes, like theft, murder, rape, sorcery, debts, and slavery, and things like that. We're going to see all kinds of interesting things. But the main lesson, I'm going to tell you at the beginning, the main lesson is that people are valuable to God, which is exactly what you prayed, Norm. I don't know how you just knew what our sermon was going to be today, but uh, during our time of worship and prayer, you know, you, you totally prayed that people would know how valuable 
they are to the Lord. And you mentioned it several times, right? Do you even remember? Okay, good. All right. Valuable. So 10 Jesus points. Good job. Right there. Man, do you get 10 just for being married to him? Oh, you get like 30 just for being married. Okay. <laughs> People are valuable to God. Every single person needs to know that how precious they are to him. And these laws are going to help us actually to understand that one lesson, how precious you are to God. And we're going to see that in many different ways. Your place in society, whether you're rich or poor, important or unimportant, smart or dumb, those do not affect any part of your value in God's sight. They don't. You're simply valuable and loved. He cares no matter what you think. He cares no matter how tough your life has been and how many reasons the enemy tells you that you're not valuable to him. They don't matter to God. He just loves you so much. These laws are going to prove that God is mindful of the weak. He cares about them. And the lowly, his mind is on them. These laws are going to show that God is compassionate and merciful when people make mistakes. That's what he wants to be. These laws are going to show that God sees every injustice and he will deal with things. Okay? So all these laws are going to show us a lot of these things. But we ask the question, or maybe let's deal with this question before we even start with these laws. Am I really valuable to God? Am I really valuable? In other words, do I have self-worth? Do I have self-worth? I'm going to read several verses to you. We're just going to kind of cruise through them, and then we're going to put them all in a big blender, and we're going to mix them up, and we're going to see what comes out, okay? Genesis 126 says we are made in his image, doesn't it? Made in his image, in the very image of God. Psalm 139 says, We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and all the days of our lives were written in God's book before we were ever born. That God had prior knowledge of our lives. Okay? Ephesians 1.4 says that he chose his children before the foundation of the earth, before the earth was even formed. And in Ephesians 1.13, it says, We are God's own possession, chosen uh, for the praise of his glory, that we might have an inheritance in heaven and be his children. So we add all these things up, we put them in a blender, and we see we are made, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, our days were written, God chose his children, we were God's own possession, and we were given an inheritance. And what I see when you see, put all those things together is you didn't do any of it. What part of that were you involved in? Nothing. It was all God. All God's grace. You see the word given. He gave, he gave, he made, he made, he gave. Those are the ling- that's the language of God's loving grace. His action, it's not earned and it's not deserved. Nobody said, I would like to be fearfully and wonderfully made today. And then, pop, there they are. That does not happen. 
God's grace is gifted. It is given. It is free. That's how God loves us. That's how we obtain his help today. His grace is free. Anyone can afford free? Can you guys afford free? Good. Because that's all I have. Nothing. We are spiritually bankrupt. We don't have it. But he just gives it freely. That's how God always works. Value added, we could say. <laughs> you have value added contracts or whatever. I don't know what those are. What, what is that from? I thought I had that in my mind, value added. Is that like nutrition or contracts? or? Yeah, it's like banking, marketing, something. Yeah. Anyway. Thanks, BK. You added so much to our discussion. <laughs> so your value is added, is added to you by God's grace. No one can say, I am so important to God. In pride. Please turn off. <laughs> no, it's, he adds us value by his love and grace. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Boy, that's annoying. Okay, so let's start in our text. We're going to go, since we already did the first one last week, we're starting in verse 7. This is the value of a single woman. Value of a single woman. If a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master, who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her. Okay, now we have to get in a time machine and we have to go all the way back to this time period, five, four thousand years ago, okay? People did not value women in that day. They were seen as property. They were seen as slaves, basically. They just did not have the value that we know in our culture today because our culture has been transformed by the gospel in, in general. I mean, we're losing it day by day by the whatever, but in general, the, the reason why women are valuable and seen as equal and, and glorious today is because of God stepping in and saying, don't treat women stupid. They're not stupid. They're wonderful and they're precious and they're valuable to me. So this, this law is like the first step into God changing the way that any people saw women. And he said, in my, in my nation, Israel, you are going to treat women with respect. Isn't that cool? Women, ladies? Amen. Amen. Okay, cool. So a dowry, you guys ever heard of a dowry? That was a, in former cultures, that was a price a father would pay for a man to marry his daughter. In other words, when you had a girl, you were like, oh no, because it was debt immediately to you. You would have to pay someone to take her away, right? When someone gets married, I say, congratulations to the father-in-law. You found someone to take over payments on your daughter. I still do that as a little joke in, in marriages today. Right and, and so that's what this is describing is this situation of a dowry because basically instead of the father paying a dowry, many poor families who couldn't afford a dowry, the price of a, a woman, they would um, encourage or arrange for their daughter to go work for the future family of their future husband because their marriages were arranged in that day. 
Okay, so she would go work and she would lower the dowry price by working, or they would call it slavery. We're going to see that word slave a lot today, but I don't want you to think the way that we think about it today, which is, Wapsh, get up, get up, you know. But that is kind of how Israel thought about it because they were just where? Egypt. Like a month ago. They were slaves in Egypt being whipped. And so that's the, oh, and they had been slaves for how long? Like 400 years, right? Maybe, maybe like 150, but still the whole time was like 400. So they, that's all that they knew their entire life. Their dad, their grandma, their grandpa, their great grandma, all they knew was slavery. So that's the only way they knew how to interact with each other. You're going to be my friend. No, you're going to be my slave. You know, that's just what they knew. And God, he's, he's gently beginning to change the way that they are going to think about each other. You're not, it's not master slave all the time, guys. You can be a family. You can show love. Okay. So that they would, they would send their daughter to a family to, to work down the dowry a little bit. And also it kind of served to see if they would fit into the family. All right. So, well, sometimes the family would just uh, never let the, the woman get married. They would just keep her as a servant in their house forever. And God says, don't do that. That's very mean to her, which is, that's very bad for the woman. Uh, she just served for nothing. She's supposed to be getting married out of this deal, and, and she didn't. So God says here is that they cannot gain from her work if, she, if they don't let her get married. Okay, it's fine. You don't like her. You think she's weird. Fine. But you have to let her go back. You have to let her family come in and redeem her. Because you're not following through on your commitment, guys. So she's allowed to be redeemed, which means someone in her family can come and pay back whatever was needed to take her home. Okay? So that's how this situation worked. And this reminds us of the redemption of Jesus for us. Okay, remember I said we can always find Jesus in these little rules and these little laws? This is so cool. He pays our debt for us. He came to us when we were slaves and we were more in debt than we could ever imagine. He considered us his family and he paid our debt completely so that we could be free. Many people wonder why they have been betrayed in their own life. Maybe it feels like you've been betrayed, like your family has turned their back on you. Why have I been let down? Someone changed their mind about me. I was married, and then they changed their mind, and, and now I'm alone. Isn't that a sad situation? And that situation can, can cause us to feel unvaluable, right? But what is God doing here? He's telling you, no, I will redeem you. I will value you when you have been rejected, when you have been betrayed, I will love you. I will not let that be your story. It'll be part of your story. But the end of the story is the Redeemer, right? So even in this first little law and rule, we see Jesus as the ultimate loving Redeemer sent to us and loving us. Isn't that cool, guys? Praise the Lord. Okay. Now let's go to the next one, uh, verse 9. And if he has betrothed her to his son... He shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. In other words, he says, you treat this lady like a daughter, not like a slave. Isn't that cool? 
Treat her like a daughter, not like a slave. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marriage rights. And if he does not do these three for her, she shall go out free without paying money. So God here is protecting a woman who seems to be in a bad situation. Her family is gone. They, they said, here, here's a new family for you. You know, and they took off. And then the guy that she's supposed to be, that's supposed to care for her for the rest of her life turns out to be a chump, a goober, and he marries another girl. And God says, in my, my country, if you do that, you're dumb, and you need to take care of the girl that you should have married. Okay? Oh, I'm fine. You don't like her? Fine. I'm not forcing you to marry someone. But because she's in your care, you have to take care of her. You can't just, you know, kick her to the curb. God sets up this law to provide for the woman who couldn't pr- pr- uh, provide for herself. The love of God does not fail, does it? He's always looking out for us. He says the family is responsible to care for her forever or let her go free. Um, which, as we'll see later, when they let her go free, the, there was another law that said they had to give her tons of gifts, tons of clothes, cut tons of animal, tons of money, and tons of food when they let her go free. We'll see that in a later chapter. Uh, This law would make it a very serious thing to not follow through with your commitments in the nation of Israel. You see how God is so smart? He's so wise by setting up laws that encourage people to be faithful, to follow through with their commitments, because it'll cost them if they don't. Okay, well, let's look at the next law, which is about murder, a group of crows. Thank you. I didn't know if anyone would get that. I appreciate you. Exodus uh, verse 12. um, He who strikes a man so he dies shall surely be put to death. Well, that's easy. Murder is a capital offense. Why? Why, though, is murder a capital offense? Because God values you. And your life matters to him. Why do I keep saying that? Why do I keep saying God values you? Because the enemy will stop at nothing to try and convince you of the opposite. You don't matter to God. God wouldn't have allowed this to happen. God would have stepped in if he really valued you. Right? That's what the enemy says. But these rules and these laws, they're helping us to understand that God values your life and your life and and everybody's life. So don't kill anybody. Very simple, okay? The enemy is always going to say, God doesn't care, he's unloving, he's far away, and that's simply not true to what we see. Okay, Let's look at the next one, verse 13. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. So God does not place accidents or self-defense in the same category as murder. God values the life of the one who made an accident as well. So not only does he care about people who are murdered, and that's sad, but if there was an accident, like, ah, I didn't mean to kill him, or he was trying to kill me, so I killed him, uh, God says, I, I understand. I get it. I know it. it. It's messy being loving. And being a loving God is messy, but God values the life of, the, of people who make mistakes. And that's great. Many times it's uncomfortable to love someone who accidentally ruined a life. But God does love that person. 
And he sets here a safe place for the, that killer to go. This was what we would call like, you know, self-defense murder or an accident, uh, where they can still live. And, and because what would happen is if, let, let's say, Simon, uh, you know, Norm killed you on accident, you know, with this bad breath or something, and you fall over dead, and it was totally an accident, you know, forgot to brush his teeth. I would have the right in our culture to kill Norm as revenge. Ah! Right? But God loves Norm and his bad breath, so God would set a place where Norm could go where I cannot go and kill him. Okay? Make sense? All right, easy. Now, there's a great lesson in this. They have to leave their life behind and to, to accept this salvation. They have to say, I'm done. Like, I have to leave behind my family and everything I was busy doing, and I have to go to this place of refuge in order to, in order to receive it. Or they could say, I, I reject this grace, gracious offer of mercy and salvation, and instead I'm going to suffer the consequences uh, from the family of the one I killed. You know, so they can reject this mercy, but they're going to have consequences for that, right? I'm sure you guys can see where that's going. Let's look at uh, verse 14, first degree murder. If a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor uh, to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. What's that talking about? Well, the altar is the place where people would go to say they are completely surrendered to God's will. I'm going to be a living sacrifice. I'm going to do everything in my life to serve God. I'm really super duper sorry that I killed that person. That's what's going on here. They kill someone. Oh, I don't like him. They lay in wait. They kill him by treachery. And then they're like, uh, wait, let me just go over to the altar and say, I didn't mean it. I'm super sorry. God says, tough. You're going to die because it was first degree murder. You're going to die. God says he doesn't care how sorry you are at the altar. If you murder someone, you're still going to die. He can't just let it go because he values the life that you took. He values life. He values people. He can't just let it go. He must make it right. You're going to die. And that might be scary for some of you in here especially if you were part of an abortion when you were younger. You might be really heartbroken about that and really feeling guilt. You might be feeling an incredible amount of guilt. And you're sorry. I get it. You know, you regret it, but the penalty is still death. And you're like, oh no, let that sink in. God valued that life and you stole it. Wow. Wow. And you know you're guilty. And if you have a conscience, you're actually concerned about that guilt. And so I just pause there to let that guilt do its work, to let it sink in, to hurt a little bit before I say, but praise God for his love and mercy because he sent Jesus Christ to, in love to take your place. And now there is absolute forgiveness and absolute washing clean for every person that has been involved in those situations. It's okay. God takes the fall. 
Jesus, in his love, may he ever be exalted, loved us that much. Isn't that great, guys? Praise the Lord. That's awesome. All right, now let's see the value of parents. Any parents in here? We are awesome in God's sight. Verse 15, he who strikes his father and mother shall surely be put to death. He who strikes his father and mother shall surely be put to death. Can you believe that voice? He who strikes his father and mother shall surely be put to death. God values your parents. An attempted murder of parents is a capital offense. You don't even have to succeed. You just have to try to kill them. And you get... (laughs) So God values parents. All right, next we look at kidnapping. Verse 16. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he's found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. America's slavery that we were involved with for a couple hundred years was actually more of the sin of kidnapping, okay? Because we stole people from their land and we forced them to live in a different place and we we kept control of them. That is the definition of kidnapping, and it's evil in God's sight. It's amazing to me that they put up with it for so long. Isn't that crazy? You know, and people defended it and stuff. It's just in, insane. Um, God devalues every life, and it's not your job to take someone out of, you know, you can't force people to, to, to change their life or to go where you think they should go. Oh, it'll be better for you. Don't worry. No, people are free. God says that. All right, verse 17. And he uh, who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Remember, boys, he who curses his father and mother shall surely be put to death. And this means a threat, okay? This is a threat to kill. God is saying here that the young people who think they know everything, uh, God is protecting the society from these young people who, who to, from, from taking control when there's elders around who know more. He wants the elders to run this country. He doesn't want the young people to say, ah, we're going we're gonna to do this or that. All right. Now we're going to get into the personal injury laws, and these are fun. If, a man, if men contend with each other, that means fight, and one strikes another with a stone or with his fist, and he does not die but is confined to his bed, if he rises again and walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted, he shall only pay for the loss of time and shall provide to him for him to be thoroughly healed. So these are very fair rules. If you hurt someone, you pay for their lost time, their lost wages, and their medical bills. All right? That's just what God says. Okay? Now, again, these are government rules. These are not God's, what he's going to do about the situation. Because he's probably going to discipline you for being an idiot. And in your heart, you're going to understand that God is going to discipline you for hurting someone because that was dumb, okay? So, but as far as the government goes, he says what you require is them to pay for their lost time and their, and their medical bills. All right, now we get to verse 20. And if a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he, he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished, okay? So some some people are servants, and that was the real slaves. In this world, that was the reality of what they had going on in their culture. And, and just because they had it doesn't mean God says, yeah, go with it, have slaves. 
No, he's going to put certain rules in place which change it from being slavery like we think of it and slavery like the Jews thought of it, and it changes it to much more like an at-will employee. It's, it's crazy how much God changes their slavery by these rules. He says, listen, if you kill your servant, you die. That's it. You are going to be punished. You cannot treat them as less because they are people. They are people. They do not count as less just because they're your servant. All right, now look at verse 21, because this is a crazy one. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property. What? Are you kidding me, God? How in the world can you say that? That's the first, I mean, we can't even justify it in our minds when we first look at it, okay? But do you really think God thinks that little of people that you could own someone? No, that's not what God is saying, okay? So just take a breath. We're all going to get through this. God is not some creepy monster, slave owner. You know, that's not what's going on here. This verse can really trip people up if you don't study what it means. The word property in Hebrew is the word money. Money, okay? So that's what it means. When investigating murder, when, when, a, when a servant has died, and the judges come to find out what happened in the search. How did the servant die? Oh, I don't know. I was beating him. I was disciplining him. Trying, and, and they'll deal that later because you can't beat someone. We'll see later. If you beat anyone, you get eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, so they're going to beat you up too. Okay, we'll see that later. So don't forget about that. God is not saying it's okay to beat someone. He's just saying when investigating murder, here's how you decide whether it was First-degree murder or second-degree murder, okay? Second-degree murder is if he lives a couple of days, you're going to get punished less than first-degree murder, okay? God is not saying it's okay to beat slaves. In fact, what he's doing is he's restricting the power masters have over their slaves. Remember, these guys grew up in Egypt as slaves. All they knew how to do was slave. That was it. They knew how to slave and build pyramids. That was it. So he says that, that he is his money, okay? And what he's doing is he's teaching these children. This, these, think of these people in Israel as children. They don't know how to be a nation. They don't know how to be a country. He's teaching these children that they need to treat their servants with respect because you're really investing in them. They are something you are investing in, and it will come back to bless you if you treat them well. Don't beat them. Treat them nice. That's what God's saying. They are your money. They will bless you if you love them and actually kind of serve them. In fact, I want you guys to know this, that in Israel, a common saying, start after all these rules and they started processing and putting them into practice, a common saying said, it is better to be a slave than a slave owner in Israel because they're treated better. That's what the reality here, okay? But I live theology, theological seminary, super liberal theological place. They'll come to this verse and they'll say, see, God's an idiot, God, blah, 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 blah. They'll just, they use this and they twist it around and that is not God's heart. So you guys need to be wise when seeing verses like this at how, how, um, how what God is really, really saying. You're investing in them. So if they die because of you, you're going to suffer because all of your investment is gone. And the Egyptians didn't think this way, did they? 
the Egyptians would just beat people and kill people, and there were so many Jews that they were just you know, killing them left and right, and they didn't see the value of people. And so God has to transform that way of thinking, value people, right? Remember, back then they didn't have bank accounts or gold bars. Uh, no machines did their work like computers or cell phones. People were the most valuable assets. And you had kids, like if I had like a bunch of boys, I would be like bling rich in that land because you, if you had a lot of boys, you had a lot of servants to do work around the house. Amen. Praise the Lord. So to devalue that asset is to devalue that servant, and it led to consequences from God. So, and remember also that this is not the punishment that God would inflict. This is the government. He says, this is how I want your government to work. If he intended to murder that person, and the, mur- the guy was just really strong, and so he lived a couple days, I will deal with that. God doesn't let that slide. He's the righteous judge. He'll take care of it. Okay, this is for government purposes only. All right? Well, what does that mean to us? The slave, servant, the slave is the property of their master. That really gets my attention. And, and it doesn't seem like you should be able to own a person, right? People are supposed to be free. Well, keep your finger here, but turn to Romans chapter 6 for just a moment as we dive into that for just a minute. Okay, Romans six sixteen. The Bible seems to have no problem stepping on my toes and, and offending my sensibilities. When it comes to things being the way I think they ought to be, the Bible has no problem saying, yeah, you're wrong. And I'm just like, ah, I wish I was deciding all this stuff, but that's not how it works. We can understand this better if we listen to what the Bible says about slavery and what freedom really is. Okay, so the whole civil rights movement, men are free, we're supposed to be free. Yes, we believe in that, but we have to define what the word free means. Because it doesn't mean you're free to do whatever you want, including hurt people, sin, follow whatever we want, whatever, it's not that. That's not what the Bible says freedom is. So look at Romans 6, 6, I'll start in 13. Chapter 6, verse 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not have dominion, that's like a slave owner, over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. A slave was under their master. And he says, you guys are not under law. You don't have to try to keep the law anymore, but you're still a slave. You're a slave of grace. That's very interesting. Look what it says in 16 or 15. What shall we say then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience to righteousness. But thanked be God that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. So slaves were the property of their master to do their master's will. That's what a slave was. I do what my boss says. 
You know, a lot of you guys have bosses. So in a sense, you're a slave to them for a certain part of the day. You have to do their will. Whatever the master wants, the servant does. Well, I, I thought people were supposed to be free. You know, Martin Luther King told me that. Why do we think that? When God created us, we were created to serve him. You guys remember that? Back in the garden, he'd said, Adam, I've created you. Now go do whatever you want. No, he gave him a job right away. He said, name the animals. Adam's like, this is lame. Can I have a helper? God's like, yeah, sure. Here's Eve. Now go tend the earth and, and make a garden and show your creativity and and work, labor for me to do my will. I want you to take this garden and expand it all over the world and make a beautiful place out of this world. That's my will. And Adam was like, no. I want to be free. I want to be free to do what I want. Right? He wanted to be free from the restriction to do only God's will. So he rebelled and decided to do his own will. That's what Adam said. So he, in, by thinking that he was free, he actually became a slave of rebelling, of sin. And that's what we have going on in our culture today. I am free to be whatever I want and do whatever I want. And you're a, a, an evil, narrow-minded bigot if you tell me, I shouldn't sin. Isn't that not what the world we live in today? Yeah. Wanting to be free was actually rebellion. It seems like the idea of being free has somehow been perverted into meaning that we should be free to do whatever we want, even if that goes against the will of our creator and judge, and it doesn't matter. God will never bring you into accountability. Freedom in God's kingdom is not doing whatever you want, but it's serving God, doing God's will. We are delivered from sin to serve God. How many of you have been forgiven of all your sin? You know it beyond any shadow of a doubt. Yes, I've been forgiven of my sin. Then what'd you do today? There's one answer. I do what God wants me to do is, is the only acceptable. I do what he tell me, tells me. He bought me. I, I am now free from all my sin so that I can serve him. Well, what are you doing if you decide to sin again? You're rebelling. You're, you're deciding to live in that place where I'm the boss and I get to decide what I want to do. And it's just going against God and rebelling against God. And God says, you present yourselves to who you want to obey. You're free now that you've come to believe in Christ and you've been forgiven. You're free to serve. You can go sin if you want. But that's not what we should do. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Don't you know you're making yourself a slave? Who, if they were a slave, would choose to say, oh, I'm free. You've let me free. I'm free. Wait, I want to go back and be slave again. That's not a reality that's not who nobody wants to go be a slave when they've been set free. So, freedom in God's kingdom is serving God. I have this pen. I love this pen. It's like you could kill someone. It's got a sharp thing there. And you break a window with it. 
Someone gave me this pen, and I use it all the time to, to write down my devotions in the morning. I, I write checks with it. I, I write stories with it, if I wrote stories. But um, I, I do all kinds of stuff with this pen. Now, I want you to imagine... Let's give this pen a name. Who's got a good name? Frank? Done. Thank you, Vicky. <laughs> Ten Frank points. All right. Frank the pen. I've named him. He is my pen. Is this your pen? No, this is my pen, right? Oh, serving God is so restrictive. I want to be free to do what I want to do. I want to be free, loosey-goosey, right? My pen, Frank. What if he de- decided to rebel against my will? Frank, you listening? I couldn't, I couldn't use him. Only when Frank, the pen, is absolutely surrendered to my will can he do what he was created to do. Maybe he's a girl, Frank the girl. This pen is only valuable when it's surrendered fully to my will. He may have all kinds of dreams of, of changing the world, aspirations of, of being a big, important pen, of making a difference in the world. And he may think that on this table or whatever, he can make a difference in the world, but it's not true. That's not reality. Pride... Frank's pride could cause him, and it's really the only thing that could keep him from being in my will. Sometimes I go to find Frank, and he's missing. And it's not because my kids stole him, because they know never to touch it. No. It's not because my kids stole him, it's because he got prideful and wandered off. He said, I'm doing my own will. And he was in a different place than where I set him. He rebelled against my will. Pride is what keeps him from my will. And, and, but when, when Frank is surrendered to my will, he is capable of doing amazing, being used to accomplish amazing, amazing things. He could be used to write a sermon a letter that could bring encouragement to someone, you know, a check to supply someone's needs. In fact, it, this could be an instrument to change the world. I could write a peace accord between North Korea and Donald Trump. In fact, Frank's only limitation is me, my limitations. All of my power could use Frank. If I was in a position of authority to make a covenant between Donald Trump and North Korea, that, wouldn't, that would be possible with this pen. You guys get it, right? If we would only surrender ourselves to God's will, there is no limit to how he could use us. So why does it offend us so much when he says property? We're his property. You're not a slave. You, you don't work for your boss. 
God says you're free. Your boss is not your boss. God is your master. God is your slave owner. And God says, I love you so much, but just treat this boss like perfectly. Just treat him like he is the best. Love him. Because I see everything and I am using you. You're my pen. And if I want to take you out of that job and put you in a different job, I will. And it'll be fine. Don't freak out. Surrender to his will. Be used by him. How many times do we say, I, I, I'm doing things my way. I don't want to do things your way. And God goes to find us and, where'd you go? Back in that, that, that Romans verse, it says, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. We don't have to worry about sin being our master. Who is your master? He says, whoever you surrender to, whoever you submit to. Uh, Verse 6 said, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves as slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. I believe that the law, this law was given to help us understand the spiritual relationship of masters in a spiritual sense, that there's slavery to, the, to sin, but we are slaves to God. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go um, to verse 22 back in Exodus. We're going to look at the value of pre-born people. Who's pre-born? Any pre-borns in here? She's not looking, but you have a pre-born. <laughs> anyway. Verse 22, if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows her, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay the judges. Um, so this helps them determine uh, what, what kind of fines to, to give on people who hurt a pregnant woman. Uh, so causing premature birth was really wrong in that day. Verse 23, if If any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Do you guys see the value of babies? They're just as valuable as an adult, God says. Even a pre-born baby. If he comes out and because he came out early, he's missing an arm, guess what? Your arm gets chopped off. Wow, God's so mean. No, God is so loving. When has a baby fought back and defended themselves? They can't. So God says, I will defend you. My country will be set up to defend the weak and those who need help. Now let's look at violence against slaves. Remember we said, oh, if you beat your slave and he dies, oh, that was, a, that was such a problem, Right? Well, now let's look at what happens if there's violence against slaves. Verse 26, if any man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out a tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. Obviously, a slave owner didn't beat his slave or he would be guilty of this law. He says, if you treat your slave dumb, they're free. They're free. I don't care if they owed you a billion dollars and they were your slave for life. If you hurt them, you're done. Wow. 
That sounds kind of familiar, right? You don't have to work at your job if they don't like you, if they treat you poorly. So they get what they deserve. This encouraged people to treat their slaves like family members, not a slave. Okay? So if you employ people, treat them like family members. That's what God is saying here. For slavery to work in God's kingdom, it can't look like slavery at all. It has to look like families, and it has to look like adoption. That's the what God is saying here. Okay? We're almost done, but we're just going to hit this last law when animals kill somebody. Got to know that. I guess this was a when animals attack. I guess this was a common like thing that happened back then. If an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. But the, if the ox had tended to thrust with its horn in times past and it had been made known to his owner and he kept not or he had not kept his it confined so that it killed a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner shall be put to death. If there is... Uh, imposed on him a sum of money, then he shall pay to redeem his life whatever is imposed on him, whether it has gored a son or gored a daughter, according to this judgment, it shall be done to him. If the ox gores a male or female servant, he shall give their master 30 shekels of silver and the ox shall be stoned. This law teaches the principles of intent and neglect and God values people above animals and And uh, so we see the different penalties and stuff for the different situations. Uh, No big deal, except you get to the part about if a slave is killed, then he has to pay 30 shekels of silver. Why would that be in the Bible? That was the price of a slave as far as government was concerned. Again, this is not God. This is the government, okay? Well, when we get to the New Testament, Jesus was sold for... 30 pieces of silver because he was the perfect slave to his father. He was the perfect servant. Again, another foreshadow of the, our Savior in these laws. How amazing is that? All right. Oh, we got another one here. The law about irresponsibility. In verse 33, if a man opens a pit or if he, a man digs a pit and does not cover it and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make it good. Uh, he should... He, he shall give money to the owner, but the dead animal shall be his. So digging a pit uh, was used to capture animals sometimes, and uh, sometimes people. And so uh, people would, I guess, irresponsibly be digging their pits everywhere, and so you'd have people falling in pits all the time. And um, So they needed something to make it right, and I guess this is how they did it. If another man's ox hurt another's so that it dies, they shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it, and the dead ox shall, they shall also divide. Or if it was known that the ox intended to, tended to thrust in times past and an owner had not kept it confined, then he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead animal shall be his own. So you've got to be responsible with your oxen, guys. Tie up your crazy oxens. Because God's love and care for his people responsibility is a thing. And we're done here. This is just the end, okay? You can come on up. We're just going to end in a song here. But we need to be responsible for our lives. Even if you've got a crazy ox, God says responsibility is a thing because he values other people around you. Sometimes in our world, people don't want to be responsible. They want to live their lives and believe they're not hurting, not affecting anybody else, False. Your life has deep effect on the people around you. 
whether you wanted to or not. That's just the way it is. When we neglect coming to church and neglect loving God's people, God's people here at the church suffer. I know you think, oh, I, nobody misses me when I'm gone, and I'm just going to stay home because nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I'm going to eat woolly worms. You taught me that. Yet, when we act that way, the church suffers because God made you to love your body, the body of his people that he's placed you in. We need you guys so much. We are desperate for every single one of you guys. And I, when we think, I'm just going to veg out tonight, we've got to be careful about how much we check out, how much we focus on our own life. Oh, I got this going on. I got that going I don't got time for Bible studies. I don't got time for God. I don't got time for church because my life is busy. Whose slave are you? Are you being responsible? Or is you got a crazy ox called your job and it's goring people and we're trying to warn you, warn you saying you're hurting people by staying away. You're hurting people by not being responsible. God is going to hold us accountable when we aren't. Why aren't we pouring into God's kingdom? Why aren't we serving? Why aren't we careful about our time? For example, you know, we don't need more programs. I'm not saying we need to come up with ideas of how to change our city. That's not what we need. But I think we need some courage that will just submit ourselves to God's will. Ah, children's ministry, you need it. Youth ministry, food bank. All these things are just wide open opportunities to be responsible for the time God's given you so we can get involved. You know, inviting someone to church. Just go for it. Have some courage. We're not earning, you're not earning a better place in God's kingdom. God's already given you his kingdom. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So since he's given it to you, just invite someone to the kingdom. Ask how you can serve at church. These are not works that I'm asking you to engage in. These are ways that you can respond to the love and grace we talk about every week. Yeah, I'll be a slave of that God. I'll choose to slave for him. I'll serve every week if that's what he wants me to do. Because he valued you. He values us. Do you know how much he values you? He's called you more than a treasure to him. He's called you more than riches of all the world. He's called you his bride. I had someone come up to me and they said, I'll pay you a billion trillion dollars for Dana. She's just awesome. And I said, hmm, no. I didn't really think that long. That was for exaggerated effect, okay? I would not give up my bride for anything in the world and that is you to God. He loves you so much. There is nothing that he values more than you. And so we ask you, serve me. We have a short time on this world to serve God, to invite people to witness and share the love of Christ. Why are we wasting our time? 
Why? We're making ourselves a slave of entertainment or whatever we got going on. We're really just making ourselves a slave of sin when we don't value God's value of us. Why did God let you be born in this, this century? Why didn't he put you in the 500s or the 1500 BC? He chose you for this time in this world. He, he sovereignly took you out of the, whatever place he keeps us. And he put you here. He created you. And he said, this is where you will be born. And I have one shot. And so I'm going to place you here. That's, that's what we got. This is not a mistake. Your life is not a mistake. Nothing that's going on here is a mistake. You're his bride and he values you so much. He wants to be with you so bad. He wants to kill you to get you up into heaven so bad. He loves you so much, but he says, we got a job to do. So serve me now. Partner with me. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up and serve the Lord and worship him in this song.